Well, um, we're going to talk about gratitude today and um, that, those last three words of our message uh, that, that Forrest read, abounding in thanksgiving is, is where we're going to be headed. Now, um, this was not part of my, my written manuscript, but because of last night's events, did anybody watch Texas A&M versus Alabama? We got some Aggies in the room? Okay. Um, is, I don't want to over-spiritualize football, but there's something to an underdog beating a team that has not lost in 20 games. I don't know if you guys also saw the statistic that the coach of Alabama has not lost to any of his uh, assistant coaches in 24 games. He had beaten every one of his assistants that came out of his program until last night. There's just something about that, right? Like, you don't have to be a football fan to appreciate the gospel is preached, that the gospel is preached. Stay with me here. The gospel is preached through an unranked Texas A&M beating number one Alabama, like Jesus being hung on the cross, Satan thinking he had won the day, that, that his plan had been victorious, but yet the underdog rose again, right? That's, I, just had to, I just had to say that because where we're going today um, is gratitude, abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, and I was thankful that Alabama lost, um, but I'm, I'm also thankful. It reminds me to be thankful of the gospel, um, strangely enough. So um, we're going to start in a different way. Uh, we're going to start again in a different way. So New York City. How many of you have ever wanted to go to New York City? Raise your hand wanted to go to New York City. Okay, how many of you have actually been to New York City? Wow, there's more people that have been to New York City than have just wanted to go. Um, I got the chance to go when I was 13. Actually, before I tell that story, what is the, the part of New York City that you were most grateful to have experienced? Does anybody want to say? Anybody want to share that? Park. Central Park? Toys R Us. Toys R Us. <laughs> That's a good one. Statue of Liberty, yes. Anything else? Okay. I went when I was 13 years old. This was just a short time after um, the World Trade Center towers collapsed. Uh, and so we got to go and we got to see Ground Zero. We got to see the Statue of Liberty, um, climb the Empire State Building. Uh, we got to see so many... Di- we got to walk through Times Square, Central Park, FAO Schwartz. Do you guys, uh, did you guys ever see Big... Anybody? Okay. The toy store in Big, F.A.O. Schwartz, we got, to, we got to experience that. And as a 13-year-old, I found nothing to be grateful for. It's in my nature to just grumble and complain and whine. And I, if you ask any of my family members, um, my mom, my sister, my aunts and uncles that were on that trip, my cousins, the first thing they'll tell you when they remember that trip is that Ryan just complained the whole time. One of the things, um, though, that distracted me from my grumbling was Dylan's Candy Bar. Did anybody go to there? Did anybody go to Dylan's Candy Bar in New York City? Massive, like, three-story candy shop. Um, I walked out with a bag full of gummy sharks. Can I get an amen for some gummy sharks? I was practicing my sermon this morning, <laughs> and my oldest son overheard me say that part, and he goes, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> So he, apparently he wants some, uh, a bag full of gummy sharks too. But 
the time that it took me to finish off that bag was the only time that my family got a reprieve from my complaining. And I look back on that and I'm embarrassed. It's, I'm, it, it embarrasses me to tell that story. But that's just like a clear revelation of my nature. That I find it so much easier to whine and complain and find something to be offended about than it is for me to be grateful. And where we're going, where the Holy Spirit has us this morning, is that it's not just in my nature, it's in human nature. Because we're all to some degree, entitled and expectant, right? Whenever, whenever we begin to complain, whenever we begin to grumble, sin multiplies sin, so we just keep going. It's harder for us to turn around. But in the same way, whenever we begin to show gratitude, whenever we thank the Lord for things and dwell on those things and let our hearts actually be thankful Thankfulness multiplies thankfulness. There's uh, one commentary writer, um, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm just going to say it's from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. He says this about thankfulness and gratitude. Those who lack a deep sense of thankfulness to God are especially vulnerable to doubt and spiritual delusion. Meaning, without gratitude... Without thanksgiving, without worship, we, just like the Colossian church, are more vulnerable and prone to turn from walking with Jesus to finding something else to put our worship in. Whether it's gummy sharks or football, whether it's other people's approval, what they think about us, or power and control, we've got a lot of false gods to give our worship to. And when we lack gratitude, we make ourselves vulnerable to be entitled and expectant and think that we can go and find another God to worship. When we complain and we find our fence, or we find offense, pride and entitlement rules our hearts. And this is a sinful posture for us. We cannot live Jesus-focused, gospel-centered lives without grumbling and complaining because then we delude ourselves into thinking there's something other than only Jesus that can give us life and peace and satisfaction. A faith unestablished in Christ, unrooted in Jesus, leads to a lack of gratitude. In our passage today, the Holy Spirit wants to show that we, his church, can grow in our rootedness in strengthening our walk with Jesus through actually practicing gratitude. I'm going to say that one more time. Um, This is, if I had a summary sentence for this sermon, it would be this. We are strengthened and established in our walk with Jesus through the practice of gratitude. So if you note takers... We are strengthened and established in our walk with Jesus through the practice of gratitude. Not gratitude alone. This is one contribution. Brian last week shared with us that one other way that we can be strengthened and established in our walk with Jesus was through gospel-centered community. That we are sure of the gospel 
when we have people in our lives that can preach it to us on our worst days. That can preach it to us on our best days. We can be sure of our faith in Jesus when we surround ourselves with people that trust in him. And that we open up our hearts to let him speak into us. So we begin uh, verse 6 here with this word, therefore. Now just a little Bible study tip. Anytime you see the word therefore, there's like this cheesy saying, right? I'm sure um, we've probably used it before. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to stop and see what it's therefore. Thank you. That wasn't in my notes. I just, that, was a, that was a free one. But really, when you see the word therefore, the author is making a point that's an extension of the previous. So to understand this point, we have to understand the previous point. So last week, verses 1 through 5, we saw that in order for our, our faith in Jesus to be sure, to have gospel assurance, we build upon the faith of Jesus in gospel-centered community. Okay? That the structure of our faith built on the foundation of Jesus is sure, is when it's tested, it's confirmed when we're surrounding ourselves with people to preach the gospel to us and that we can then preach the gospel to them, right? We're transformed into a community that loves each other through gospel preaching and good works on behalf of one another. So that's, that's the argument that we're coming into. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so as we began our faith in Jesus the Lord, transformed into this new community, so walk in him. Verses six and seven say that since we have faith in Jesus, since we've accepted him as he's presented himself to us as Lord and Savior, the only way to salvation and reconciliation with God, the only supreme authority in our lives, Jesus, has presented himself to us in that way. That is what this word received means. That we take him as he presents himself to us. And we say yes. Okay, so therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This phrase, so walk in him, is, Paul uses a lot of metaphors in these two verses. Um, I saw two verses as I was studying and I was like, okay, this, uh, this study time is going to go pretty quick. But he uses three metaphors and then he actually bookends uh, these two verses with some other Pauline language. So there's a lot here actually. So what we already talked about received. Um, now we're going to talk about so walk in him. This is a metaphor for life. The origins of this phrase come from uh, Jewish culture. Someone's walk was their ethic. And where did you get your ethic? From your rabbi, from your teacher. So if you were a disciple who followed your rabbi closely, who walked closely behind him, it was your life's goal to walk like him. Maybe sometimes literally, they would walk in the shadow of their rabbi to make sure that they took every step just like him. Their goal was to walk like the rabbi. They had his ethic. They would ask him questions and he would respond with questions, right? But walking in their rabbi was the goal of a disciple. And even, even if you weren't a disciple, if you had another job, if you were um, just in the community, that's where you got your ethic too, was your local rabbi. 
So let's listen to what the Apostle John has to say about our rabbi, Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 say this. By this we may know that we are in him, that is Jesus. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John gets this idea straight from Jesus himself. In, John, in uh, chapter 15 of, of John's gospel story, the same John, he famously quotes Jesus in saying that Christians should abide in Jesus. Other translations may say remain. And that's a little bit of a, it's figurative speech. That's a little bit of a challenge for us to make that connection. So we're going to look at what abiding in Jesus looks like. One aspect of that. How do we abide? How do we follow closely in the footsteps of Jesus? Well, immediately before that famous passage in John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, the Holy Spirit tells us through the words of Jesus to his disciples in John 14, that he would send the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us in his instructions and his commands. So how do we abide? We are led by the Spirit. Well, how are we led by the Spirit? The Spirit um, is a person of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, equal in authority, equal in power, equal in godness. God the Holy Spirit is different from other people that we know, other people that we may learn from, rabbis, professors, parents, mentors. He's different because he lives in us. Jesus also says in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. One God, three persons dwelling in humanity, in the Christian, leads us in this way. Um, We're going to look at Psalm 1 to help us see because uh, the Holy Spirit is the author of our scriptures. So one way that the Holy Spirit leads us is through the scriptures. Now, the Holy Spirit in me is united with the Holy Spirit in scripture, the Holy Spirit that authored scripture and works through scripture so that in my submission to him, in your submission to the Holy Spirit, in you and in scripture, there's a unification to where as we read and we submit to the Spirit to be led and instructed by him, he gives us understanding. Now, we still have a responsibility to study. We still have a responsibility to put in the time and have a good method. It is not enough for us to just kind of sit here like this and expect to understand or even just read blindly and expect to understand. We pray as we read. We submit to the work of the Spirit in Scripture and ask Him to speak to us, just like Brian led us this morning. That's how we read Scripture. And so let's look at verse uh, 1 through 3 of Psalm 1. We're moving into verse 7 of our text this morning. I want to show you uh, what Paul's referring to when he says, rooted in Jesus, rooted like a tree. This is another Jewish phrase. Psalm 1, 
Blessed is the man who walks. Blessed is the one who walks. Not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. A couple of things to point out about someone. The word law here, lowercase l, simply means God's instruction, God's commands. Not specifically, uh, but in general, that includes the Ten Commandments, which are summed up, Jesus sums up for us, love God and love each other. But the, this little l law is, is God's instructions or commands. What did Jesus promise the Holy Spirit would guide us in? Obeying his commands and instructions. Okay? I want to also point out this word meditate. On his law, he meditates day and night. Literally translated, the word meditate means to mumble or to whisper. Now remember, um, when Psalm 1 was written... When the Torah was available to all of Israel, it was not written in, this is called a codex. This was not available yet. They had no mass-produced, like Crossway was not invented yet. There was no mass-produced Bibles. A person's Bible was what they had memorized. Because the only place they could go to get the scroll was their local synagogue, and they probably only had a few of them, not all of them. So when we see the word meditate in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, meditate means to mumble or to whisper. That means we're saturating our minds in God's word, memorizing it, letting it wash us, our imaginations being captivated by God's word. We're daydreaming on it. We're memorizing it. We're walking and mumbling and whispering God's word to ourselves. This is how the Holy Spirit in Scripture and the Holy Spirit in us leads and guides and instructs. We have to pray. We have to remain submissive to the Spirit in Scripture. Okay? When we let our minds be consumed, when we pray through God's Word, it strengthens us, and it roots us in Jesus. So that when our roots are tested, we're held firm. This, this next metaphor, built up in him, is a reference um, to another just common phrase. We built upon a, a strong foundation, right? Jesus tells this story, this parable, of two men, one builds a foundation in the sand, one builds a foundation on the rock. And when the storms come, it's talking about life circumstance, false doctrine, anything that's pulling us away from Jesus. When the storms come, whose house stands? The man with the foundation on the rock. He built up his faith on the rock of Jesus. Right? This confession that Jesus is Messiah and Lord. So, when the storms come and our roots are tested, when our foundation is beaten against, we can hold firm to faith in Jesus. When our health fails us, when we're in so much 
physical or emotional pain that we're not sure that we want to live to see tomorrow. When we lose a job, and this was what our whole career was built on, we're not sure where to turn. When a pandemic hits, and we were already struggling with loneliness and depression. When our roots are tested, being led by the Holy Spirit through gospel-centered community and through prayer and scripture will hold firm to our faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're just getting to the point where your walk with Jesus is, is becoming um, out of routine. It's uh, disjointed. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're, you're struggling and just wondering, what is this even following Jesus? What, how do I keep doing this? When our roots are tested, we remain in him. We keep looking to him. We let the spirit lead us and guide us. Remember, God tells us uh, in our verses today, Colossians 2, 6 through 7, that our being rooted in Jesus bears the fruit of thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. When we pray, when we're in community, when we're dependent on the spirit through scripture, we see that in the Bible, we have so much to be thankful for. God has revealed himself to you through his word. He's revealed who he is, the story that he's crafted in all of humanity. He's revealed who we are, broken, needy, dependent. God has revealed himself to us through scripture. This is a blessing. Forget about New York City. Like all the, all the trappings of New York City, all those gummy sharks that I took delight in there, God's word is a wellspring for us. Brian read Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest, uh, probably single chapter in scripture, the longest psalm for sure. The whole thing is about delighting in God's word. The ease with which I complain and grumble and find offense at the slightest thing can be detoured by practicing gratitude. When I slow down and I think about the things that I'm grateful for. I'll give you one example. Um, I, when, when I'm spiritually weak, so like our, our uh, commentary quote said earlier this morning, um, when, we're, when we're lacking thankfulness, we become spiritually deluded and vulnerable. So when I'm spiritually deluded and vulnerable, I recognize that I'm quick-tempered with my kids and I'm pretty harsh with them. And so the way that I've been combating that this week is that I'll, I'll slow down, I'll go for a walk, I'll go to our bedroom, and I will be thankful. Not just say that I'm thankful, but think about my kids and be thankful for them. That they're running in circles around me is not something for me to get upset about, but there's gonna come a day when, when they don't want anything to do with me. We were at a birthday party last night and, and I saw my daughter running across the house and I said, Willa, come here. And I held out my arms and she came and gave me a hug. And the second she gave me a hug, I, I mean like that, she said, can I go play now? <laughs> so I can be grateful that she even turned and came and, and gave me a hug. 
I'm grateful for my kids. And this fights against my entitlement to have things go my way all the time. Um, I once had the privilege and the time. I've got three kids and one on the way. Um, so the time for this is, is long gone. But I once had the privilege to build the dinner table that's currently in our dining room. Um, and I'm not like this master craftsman. If you look at it, you'll be like, yep, that looks like you built it. Um, so there's, there's two types of, of craftsmen. When you're, when you're good and you build a strong table and it's light, that's, you point to that and you're like, okay, that guy knew what he was doing. It's strong, but I can carry this thing. Um, the other end of the spectrum for building sturdy structures uh, is that it's so weighed down with extra support wood and nails and screws and glue. That's the table I built. And so what I did after I built it, I was pretty proud of this. This was the very first project I ever did. I jumped on it and I pushed against it and I stood on it and shook it to test it. That's exactly what the end of verse seven here is telling us. Built up in him, established in the faith. That word established means confirmed through testing. Established in the faith, confirmed in the faith through testing. What follows is abounding in thanksgiving. The Holy Spirit in Colossians 2, 6 through 7 is telling us that our faith in Jesus can be rooted and built up on the foundation of Christ through practicing gratitude. And remember, sin gives way to sin. Sin begets sin. Gratitude begets gratitude. Thanksgiving multiplies thanksgiving. In a short period of time, we moved back to San Angelo from Abilene. And for four months, we didn't have a house. We lived with family members. Um, that, was, that was pretty rough. Uh, not having a house, not being able to sell our house in Abilene, not being able to find one here. Not to mention, um, since we then actually were able to uh, find a house, we planted a church. We moved uh, or merged with the journey. We found out that we were having a fourth child, and our oldest started kindergarten in about six months' time. So all of my routines just washed away. That has been hard for me to overcome. But as I have practiced gratitude this week, I have found myself finding time to pray, finding reasons to sit alone with the scriptures or sitting with my kids around. All it took for me was my circumstances um, to shake my roots a little bit. But with the help of practicing gratitude, the Holy Spirit just did something that I can't explain away. I can't strategize for it to make it happen again. You just, just practice gratitude. Your situation might be like mine, where maybe you started school, you started a new job, uh, maybe you've had an addition to the family and all your routines have been thrown out the window. You wake up every couple hours to change a diaper, to feed a baby. Maybe um, you've just moved here. Maybe you've got some new friends and you're wanting some new routines. Or 
maybe you've experienced a tremendous loss. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe you've lost a loved one, a dear and close relationship. Maybe you've lost a church. I'm not here to tell you to add one more thing to your religious to-do list. Don't you already feel beaten up? Don't you already feel bruised? Like you're burning the candle at both ends and you don't know when that's going to go out. I'm not here to make you feel guilty for having a lack of gratitude or for having uh, a bad set of routines. What I do want for you is for your love and your gratitude for Jesus to be sparked and rekindled and to catch fire. And that gratitude would multiply in your heart and overflow into worship. That's another translation of abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing with worship. I want to just point back to Colossians 1, um, 21 through 22, to remind you of what you already have in Jesus, that you don't need a religious to-do list. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You've already been reconciled. There's nothing you can add to your reconciliation. The only thing that you bring to the table in our relationship with Jesus is the sin that needs forgiveness. We've already been reconciled, brought back into relationship with God. Our hostility, our separation, our evil deeds, our lack of gratitude, our lack of routines oriented around Jesus has already been forgiven and Jesus presents you through his death before God as holy, blameless, Above reproach. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, abounding in thanksgiving. We have so much to be grateful for. Abounding in thanksgiving. Um, another translation for this is affluent in gratitude. You guys ever want to be affluent in something? Probably finances, maybe a social life, gummy sharks. I'm going to keep referring to that. What about affluent in gratitude? I would love for you guys to be affluent in the blessings of God. Money is a blessing. Friendship is a blessing. I would love for you to be affluent in those things. But what struck me this morning, as we were worshiping, as I was thinking on this scripture, and even as I'm preaching and seeing your faces, I want you to be affluent in gratitude. I want you to be rich in worship of Jesus. 
We don't need to be affluent in a checklist. We don't need to be affluent in guilt and burden for being unable to keep up. I want you, Brian wants you, your pastors want you to be affluent in gratitude. Because we have a friend and a gift, a blessing in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When we practice gratitude, the Spirit does something in our hearts that multiplies more gratitude and more worship. We overflow into worship. When we surround ourselves with Christian people to preach the gospel to us, and that's not to say exclude non-Christian people. We bring them in to that overflow of gratitude and worship so that they can see how good God is. But we have to open our hearts to people that can preach the gospel to us. When we do that, when we study scripture, the Holy Spirit reminds us. The Holy Spirit will remind you that the Lord is your shepherd. You have everything you need. You have so much to be grateful for. But when we complain, when we become spiritually weak and vulnerable, sin multiplies sin. We complain and we complain and we complain. We eventually are convinced that we've got to find something to be grateful for and we're going to turn to it. But when we practice gratitude... I keep using that word practice because it has to be deliberate. Our nature fights against gratitude. But when we practice gratitude, we deliberately express thankfulness. Our faith is established in the truth of God and what he's done for us. Gratitude multiplies gratitude and overflows into worship. N.T. Wright says that um, a church that is Practicing thankfulness is a church that is maturing in Jesus. So I want to encourage all of you this week. Um, I'm going to challenge you. Spend every day this week practicing gratitude. Now, you're gonna, it's, it's going to be difficult. You're going to forget, so set a reminder. You're going to find reasons not to, but press through those temptations. Press through the temptation um, to just make it quick, Press through the temptation to make it easy when you're driving. Maybe you're driving to work or school. Um, just going to get errands. Turn the music off. And if you're having trouble coming up with something to be grateful for, and it doesn't have to be this massive, grandiose thing. It can be small things, like a car to drive to work with. Whatever you can find in your heart to be grateful for. Ask the Spirit for help. Just pray. God, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for the blessing of my kids. That even though in my flesh and my weakness, I become so quick-tempered with them. Thank you that I have them. Thank you that they're happy to see me when I come home. Practice gratitude on purpose. If you feel like you're being tested, like your roots are being shaken, your foundation is getting beat upon, 
with the circumstances of life. The Holy Spirit is saying to you in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, practice gratitude and your faith will be established in the gospel of Jesus. We're gonna practice thankfulness now. Um, The band, you guys can go ahead and come up. We're gonna start our week of gratitude together being thankful for Jesus. Okay, we're gonna do that through communion. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus to be who he presents himself to be, Lord and Savior, then would you take the cup with the juice and the bread? Would you pray a prayer of thanksgiving? And I'll I'll give you a little tip. Uh, We've got, so two tables in the back and then one table up here. Uh, If you take the cup and you shake it, it gets a little bit of that sediment down uh, on the bottom to, to get stirred up. Brian thinks they taste like grape Kool-Aid jammers. So if you're a friend of Kool-Aid jammers, um, there you go. Um, one day we will have real bread and real juice or wine uh, to share. But we're going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for Jesus this morning as we take our communion. Um, if you are, have not given uh, your trust and your hope to Jesus... Maybe you've done it this morning. If you've done that this morning, would you join us in communion? And then would you come talk to either Brian or I? Um, but let's, let's just spend this next song practicing gratitude for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have so much to be grateful for, and it starts with him. Let's pray.